We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blenderhead, Blender HD. You want to follow me there on Twitter. And it's Monday, so you know what we do on Monday. It's Mondays with McCool, James McCool, the co-author with me on the theory of daily fantasy sports. Go pick up the 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. And I see you guys in the YouTube chat bright and early in the morning. Edward Brown, Eric Hillpold, Real Life Picture, Joe Mack, Jim Steele, DFS Voodoo, Bobby Gunn, Card Fan, uh, Jerome Lewis, Dwayne Bones, Doug Edwards, Ace Boogie, and Pierre Dota. Good morning. Hit the thumbs up button on your way in. Hit your thummy. Give me those thummy thumbs. Uh, hit the subscribe button. If you're new here, notification bell to know when we go live. I'll, I'll, I'll be back live 
uh, later later tonight uh, for the for the showdown slate for for NFL. But uh, but on Mondays now now that we're back into NFL season, uh, we're going to be doing pr- primarily review review of yesterday's slate, strategic decisions that that we both made. Maybe you made also. Take a look at results DB uh, between you know the kind of the high stakes and the low stakes contests and. Uh, if, if, you, if you notice yesterday, uh, week one, and, and I could, you could say this for almost, for me, you could say this almost every week, but especially early in the season, uh, James, uh, we, we, we don't know anything. Uh, no, uh, we don't. Um, it, the, so much of the chalk busted yesterday, I think you tweeted out that like the four highest owned players combined for 11.5 fantasy points or something. The four, the four highest owned if you take if you take out quarterback because quarterback ownership is so spread out yeah whatever yeah, there's no high owned quarterbacks the highest on DraftKings the highest owned running back the highest owned wide receiver the highest owned tight end and the highest owned defense combined for 11 and a half points now obviously one of one of them was was due to injury the others just were due to we we don't know what we don't know or we do know and they still have to, they still have to produce, right? I mean, like it's just that the the ownership differences between these players were just, I mean, they shouldn't be that wide. I mean, and that's what we take try to take advantage of in GPP. And I could tell you, uh, outside of Kyle Pitts, all all of the high owned players I I I was under on. Did not didn't mean I have zero. I play I played I played. 400 lineups, oh my God. 250 on DraftKings, 150 on, on FanDuel. So like, yes, I'm going to have, yes, Elijah Moore is going to be, be in some lineups, right? Marcus Callaway is going to be in some lineups, but like no, nowhere at the rate that uh, that the field was rostering them. Uh, the, the one thing that I want to, I want to ask James, uh, I was blown away by the Raheem Mostert ownership only because Given my experience in playing, what this is my fourth year of playing NFL DFS or fourth and a half, I don't know, fifth maybe. Uh, Ryan Mostert wasn't like he was. He was in that range that that you know the mid state mid range Mixon and Najee Harris and Mostert and Mike Davis even and like that that kind of five fifty five hundred ish type of range. Uh, it wasn't going to be that popular, you know, like. In general, I mean, I think the ownership I had him at was like about eight, eight to ten percent, uh, in a good spot against the Lions, sure. But with with the committee that Shanahan uses, like it's hard to project Mostert for like more than sixteen touches. But once the news came out that Sermon was inactive, like obviously that bumps him up. But I, in my experience, 90 minutes before lock, like the ownership doesn't reflect it. Like, like those are the times we talk about, like, when do you jam the news? Like news on Thursday is going to be, is going to be efficient by Sunday ownership. Friday, even, even Saturday, but the closer it gets to lock, the more inefficient it is. We had that slate last year with Pollard and he ended up being like 8% owned when he should have been 40% owned. Were you, were you as as kind of shocked as me as most most went from ten percent ownership to twenty eight percent ownership in the span of ninety minutes? 
Um, I wasn't that surprised. Right. I figured really? like, uh, no, I figured am, like am I, am I just, am I just so like, uh, so cynical on the, on the, the smartness of the general public? Uh, I just, you know, I, I have said it a lot of times on the show that I think that I think you underestimate how many people are using like fantasy services at this point. I, I think that you yourself underestimated a little bit. Because there are a lot of people that have some sort of service that they subscribe to or go to for information. And so many more people are on Twitter and, and everything like that. More and more people have access to this information. And um, at every single fantasy service is like, oh, Trey Sermon is out. Like we already had Raheem Mostert projecting okay. Uh, now he's going to project like God. So right. we could say the same thing for Mike Davis with what Wayne Gallman absolutely. out of the picture. Right. But what, but Mike Davis didn't do the same things Raheem Mossar did last year. Right. So like the baselines for Raheem Mossar were really, really good. And it was kind of like the nuts matchup there against the lions where the 49ers were the largest favorite on the slate. We know that they are a team that prefers to run not only between the twenties, but also in the red zone. They have like the third highest suggested run rate in the league last year. And they didn't really change that much for their coaching staff. So there was a lot of things that pointed to this kind of being like the nut matchup. Um, and then Trey Sermon gets, gets taken out and everybody had assumed, well, a, a lot of people had assumed that Trey Sermon was going to have a notable impact on the, uh, on the running game for the 49ers. So with him out and with that really late breaking news, late breaking news always hits harder than early news. Like the, the news on Monday, like you said, the news on Thursday is efficient. The news on Monday doesn't even matter. Like people completely forget about the chalk from Monday when something like that most situation happens on Sunday morning. So, um, and the, the other thing that I think that we kind of need to start to take account of is that people are paying more attention to prop markets now. And so the, like Raheem Mossart went from a 65 over under his rush yards prop to 105 when that news came out. Right. And, and then one, 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 James, once he goes up to 105, He's literally the he literally has a higher prop than Derrick Henry, right? Exactly. And Dalvin Cook, and you're looking and like, well, Derrick Henry is 8,800 or whatever, and Cook is ninety one hundred, like fifty eight hundred for uh, yeah. uh for if if you if the, you consider the prop market to be efficient, that would mean that it would be a coin flip for him to get the hundred yard rushing bonus, right? And exactly. his touchdown and his touchdown equity was already like minus one thirty or minus one forty as it was. So if you just weigh just based on the, the prop market, but you also have to understand that the prop market 90 minutes to lock is not necessarily the most, most efficient either. These sports books may be putting up hundred point hundred yard lines just to just to save themselves. And they'd overcompensate in one direction just for the sake of like not getting burned on a, on a, what was a 62 yard rushing prop. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing too, is we're early in the season. So these markets are not efficient, especially the prop markets, because prop, prop markets are not efficient. However, I will say that uh, there, there's a very valued community member that I have in the discord. He goes by the Hatter. Um, he manages a lot of data for me and he, him and I came up with a, a little process to take the props. So we take all the props from DraftKings Live and we pull them in and then we translate them into a, into a projection, into a DraftKings projection. Um, that way we can build a projection off of the prop markets. And before that news even broke, the prop market had Raheem Mostar with a projection of 22 on DraftKings. Before the news even broke. So after that news broke, he projected for over 30. Because a coin flip for 100 yards. 
right? And like an anytime t- touchdown prop of like after that of like negative 175 or something. He had a great, great prop market. So I think that that's something that we need to take more into account when we're looking at this late breaking news. It's like, all right, we have all these tout services and, and significant tout services at this point. I mean, FTN has gotten very, very large and they focus a lot on props. Roto-Grinders focuses a lot on props now. I, like everybody is focusing a lot on props. If a prop for a running back that's under 6K goes from 65 rushing yards to 105, like the most on the slate, I think that we need to take that into consideration. There's a lot of there's a lot more conversation that's happening before lock now for a lot of people. So if, if his ownership before that news came out was going to be like 10%, which is what I had just about projected, it was like between 7 and 10%. If we think that and then the news comes out on that, and then all these tout services and the prop markets and everything like that, then supercharge him, then yeah, 25% probably makes a lot of sense. Right. Or just that in the in the past. This would this would be the case where most there would be fourteen percent. Yeah, yeah, right. Like sure. it would it would go up, but not like dramatically. And also, you'd see the ownership primarily go up in the higher stakes, smaller field stuff mm-hmm. than in the lower stakes. Like I looked at here in Results DB, I brought I bring up the Wildcat, the hundred dollar milli, and the five dollar milli. And if we look at Mustard, it's 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 like the same. Like there's there's no there's no discernible gap he 25, ended up, 24 25 20 20 almost 24 over here but there's a noticeable gap between players in sharp sharp players lineups mm-hmm. and others i mean elijah moore for instance because we'll have to talk about the, the cheap wide receivers yeah the wildcat he was 21 percent owned in the five dollar milli he was nine percent owned marcus calloway 27 percent owned in the wildcat 20 percent owned in the milli so we have some some of these guys that you know are way Mike Davis seventeen percent in the Wildcat nine percent in the Millie. Mm-hmm. So like, it's hard for it's hard for me to fathom that you know obviously when when Sermon was ruled out when Gallman was ruled out Davis and and Mostert like if you if you just looked at any projection model around the industry. They'd skyrocket up, not yeah. not to the point of stupidity, but they 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 became on par with a uh, Joe Mixon. They came on par with uh, with a uh, uh, point per dollar wise to a Cook Kamara and and McCaffrey. But how do you reconcile the fact that in the five dollar milli, like all the other the wide receiver values were lower on? Like if you're looking at the same thing. Like why, why would, why would like, that's why, that's why it, it seems so odd to me that the field adjusted across the board to what I would consider to be a more efficient ownership. Like most aired at 24, 24% aggregate, like maybe that was his efficient ownership. I still think it's probably too high, maybe 20%. I mean, but it's still closer than it was, you know, 7% 7% before, but I think 10% would have been his efficient ownership had he had a 16 touch ceiling to begin with. Yeah. Just, why, why, why in that case, but not in some other cases? Well, I mean, we didn't, we didn't have extra news for Elijah Moore or Marquez Callaway. Like we knew about those guys. Yeah. But the type, no, no, the point that I'm making is that Callaway, uh, if we take a look at the biggest discrepancy between the wildcat and the, the five dollar milli for some of these players 
It's Callaway. It's Elijah Moore. It's, uh, let's see, going down here, Mike Davis. Well, Mike Davis was late news. Uh, let's see. Rondell Moore, 12% in the Wildcat, 5% in the $5 million. I go through some of this stuff. I mean, there are others if I look through. Sure. But like, those are the type of plays, like players that if, if you if you if you were using any projections from around the industry, if you were if if you were reading articles around the industry, if you were listening to podcasts around the industry, those were the cheap, those were the cheap, the chalk cheap value guys. Yeah. So how could you say that? Well, you're you're telling me that I underestimate how many people, you know, utilize fantasy sites. Yeah. To make their decisions. How come like less less of the people used the all of those value plays that were bandied about throughout the industry, but used the same sites to find out that maybe I should play Raheem Most. Well, no, I mean, my point on Raheem Mostard is that we had the news so late. And that no, but that's that, usually the reason why people don't have them in the no, 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 not anymore. That's that's what I'm saying though. It's like oh, so 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 James, are you saying that it's more it's more of there's more of a like a, a I, I, what I would call a Twitter overreaction. You can yeah yeah it's, a, a, it's a, a people people are already set their lineups. They normally wouldn't do anything, but now more people are like, well, let me like I'm, I'm going to be on Twitter at noon. Uh, yep. Waiting for you know lock to hit, and maybe they're tinkering with their lineups, and then they start they they follow a whole bunch of sites and people and touts and analysts, and they're all like, go 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 get that most rushing prop, go go you know he's he's now we've and the rankings the start sits rankings you know all those people are like we're moving up Moster to running back four on the entire slate, we're moving up Mike Davis to RB six, and people are people are getting more tuned into that. And obviously if you take, if you add a, a cheaper running back in one of your slots, you don't need one of the two cheap exactly. wide receivers. It's like, oh, instead of me playing uh, both Rondell Moore and Elijah Moore, well, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Dalvin Cook down to Mostert. And now I can remove one of those three yep. guys. Or I'm gonna go, I'm gonna remove Kamara and and put Mike Davis in there, and now I don't even have to play any mm-hmm. of the. Now I don't have to play Pitts, right? I could move Pitts up to Kelsey, and so you you think there's more of that? I think that there is more overreaction to late breaking news, like it's because it's of Twitter. But there's more. You're talking about now, because yes. in the past there wasn't. Look, if we go back to last year, what week fourteen or something? I mean, we're not talking about that long ago. Yeah. That Pollard news, Ezekiel Elliott was inactive 90 minutes before lock. Yeah. I, I go, I, I've already built all my lineups. So yeah. me personally, like if there's no news that's worth doing, I didn't, I'm not going to change. Once I saw that news, I, I jammed Pollard into like 65, 70% of my lineups and he came in 9% owned. Obviously, yeah, but he originally was going to be virtually unowned because why are you playing backup running back? So he would have been 1.2% something, something low, low. Yeah. So yes, going from 1% owned to 9% owned, but he went from 1% owned to being by far the best value of possibly the entire season at like 4,500 bell cowing 
the, the, the cowboys. And if you looked on Twitter then, <coughs> you saw plenty of people saying the same thing. Yet week 14 or whatever it was last season, why didn't he go? Why didn't he end up at 35% ownership like he should have been? I mean, I don't have an answer for you. Right, but but that's the point. That's why I found it weird. It's That's why I found the overreaction. Typically, there's a reaction, but not not making him officially owned. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see larger reactions this year, specifically. This year. I, I mean, okay. I, I I think that the... I think that the... Uh, the rise of conglomerate sites, because we have a bunch of conglomerate sites now, we have like four different sites that are taking up a lot of different people and personalities. Um, and all of them are focusing on the prop market and all of them are focusing on this late breaking news and they're trying to find their edge. And um, I, I think that we're going to see a lot of stuff like that. I Monday news at this point, I think that it's pretty important. And I started doing this last year, but I think that it's pretty important to look Monday and take note of who you, of who should be chalk that week. Like get an idea of, okay, this person's out. This person performed better. This person performed worse. If the slate was today, who would be chalk? Um, and then keep that list and like have Monday chalk there. And then take another list Thursday and say, okay, here's who the chalk would be Thursday. Uh, and then when Sunday rolls around, you have these pieces of information of like the good plays because something is going to happen Sunday. You know, OBJ is going to be ruled out or, uh, Trey Sermon's going to be ruled out or whatever. And then we're going to get this, this influx of chalk for those really, really late breaking plays, but you can still look back and see, okay, well, yeah, this chalk is good, but like, I still should be trying to find a way to have uh, the Monday chalk or the Thursday chalk or whatever, because those plays are still good. Those plays don't get completely erased from the slate that they're still good plays. Yeah, but they're right? typically overowned also. Right. But they're not as overowned as a late breaking chalk. No, but I, I, I think I, I disagree. I think I think it's more reflective of the the middle of the road. Like for instance, the the news for Mostert and Davis lowered the ownership. We could take a look here. Uh, Joe Mixon came in at fifteen percent. Yeah. Now, I thought Joe Mixon. I projected him to be around 22% owned, thinking that he would be slightly over-owned. Like I thought his efficient ownership was like maybe at 6,200, maybe 17 or 18%. But if Mostert, Mostert and Davis start creeping up, I mean, Davis came in at, in the Wildcat, he was 17%. Like, uh, Anytime those guys go, like I had Mike Davis more at like 12%. I had Mostert more at, you know, even inflated to 14%. But that that reaction, Mixon would have still, would have crept down from 22 to like 18. And I'm like, okay, that's efficient. But at 15, he's actually, I think he's under-owned. So like those are the, to me, it's not necessarily just reacting to like the late news but how much is that reaction going to happen? And this is also news, not late news, like 90 minutes before lock, but even like Schefter tweet at midnight type of news. Right. Like yeah. we're not talking about news on Wednesday. We're not even talking about news on Friday night. We're talking about like Saturday afternoon till slate lock that it's not just uh, thinking about like 
oh, who's going to gain ownership? It's also thinking about who's going to lose ownership in the process of that. What is it going to affect? Like I like I'm shocked to me on DraftKings that James Robinson was eight was twenty two percent in the five dollar milli. Now he was only thirteen in the in the Wildcats, so that shows such a huge discrepancy. Now James Robinson ended up being the backup running back for the Jaguars, uh, right? Carl, I knew Carlos Hyde was probably going to steal something, but not the entire starting role of the team. The entire uh, first quarter, he had one carry. Yeah, but they threw the ball a ton. Oh, did, did, we, we didn't. We we overestimate. We what happened with between the Texans and the and the Jaguars is it's like oh the Texans are really going to be bad this year, and then you look at Urban Meyer and go like no the Jaguars are still going to be really <laughs> bad this year. I, I wrote down in my notes for the slate. I was like, all right, look, Houston is going to be the trash can in the league, but Urban Meyer might be a moron. So, like, this line only being negative three, that was the giveaway, right? Like, if everybody and their mother thinks the Texans might not win a game and the Jags are only three-point favorites over them, we should have thought about that maybe a little bit more. A little bit more. I played, I played some, but I, pl- I played Lawrence plus Marvin Jones plus Cooks. Those lineups did very well. I, I had I had a James Robinson lineup. Uh, I did not have any Jags lineups, but I did. I projected DJ Moore well. Um, I played T Higgins over Marvin Jones Jr. Mar- Marvin Jones getting there with the last five seconds just. Hey, I, I, so so he got there. I know you. He's always live for a touchdown, right? He was thirty six hundred. I know. I know how much he was, Jordan. Right. <sighs> anyway. Yesterday, yesterday, my, my yesterday, yesterday was a tale of two everything's yesterday. If I just played GPPs, I would have made a little bit of money. Unfortunately, I played, played cash games and only, and only won 27% of my hit dads. What, uh, what lesson did you learn there? Don't play cash. Damn straight. (laughs) (laughs) Or I don't know. I play more head dads, I guess. I think, Uh, uh, I mean, cash, like, I'm, I'm sure that my cash lineup would have done bad yesterday um, because, like, I just play all the chalk and all the chalk. Right, and all the chalk <laughs> failed, right? Well, that, but that's that's what I mean by my GPP lineups. Right. Like, did, like, that's, like, even the single entry, like, I played eight single entry, three max lineups. Yeah. Because, uh, I yes, I do the one fit, two, 250 lineups. And those are just scatter shot. I set yeah. up rules. I set up, you know, I, I know what I want to do, how many stacks of each and that type of stuff. But then I make eight lineups that are like power sweep, spy, uh, red zone, like all those fifty to one hundred and fifty dollar type of type of GPPs, yeah. and like six out of eight cashed, and like like three went for like three or four x, and and my my one fifty, I think I like I I whatever money I put in, I I lost like ten percent on. Mm-hmm. In general, on FanDuel, I think I that I what I put in what it was a three four hundred and fifty bucks, and I got back like three eighty. So it's like okay, whatever it is, what it is. Uh, but like those like uh, those lineups actually did like it, the my main my main uh, stack yesterday. The highest exposed was Seattle. Russell Wilson plus either one of Lockett or Metcalf plus Gerald Everett in the tight end spot. And then with either Pittman, uh, Campbell, or Pascal mm-hmm. running it back. Uh, unfortunately, in my single entry, I played Pittman and Rip. not Pascal. Yeah. 
and then also playing uh, correlations in the Minnesota Cincinnati game. Right. Yeah. So in my, I would have, I would have uh, Dalvin cook plus one of the Cincinnati wide receivers. So I, a lot of times it was cook Higgins. Yeah. I had one cook, a cook chase, which was a good lineup. Right. And, yeah. but the, the bad one was when I had Mixon. I played Jefferson over the, ah, right. So like, I mean, so, and then it might no, and then look, I played a ton of the, but Devonte Smith was my highest exposed player on Fanduel. You're an insane person. GPP. Uh, and he was, and I, I played a ton of. I think I played like he was like maybe he. I played him more than any of the other like three K value whatever. I played Devonte Smith, but you know, you know what the problem with Devonte Smith was? Yeah, most impaired. of my Devonte Smith lineups had Kyle Pitts or Mike Davis. Yeah. yeah. Right. So like. Now I'm sitting there going, okay, great. I got, I got by the points that I wanted at it, but the Falcons didn't show up. Right. Yeah. I had uh, yesterday I focused. I originally, I had Arizona, I had Buffalo and I had the chiefs. So those were the three stacks that I, that I really wanted to focus on. I kind of wanted an Atlanta stack, but I didn't know who to take on Philadelphia. I was really, really uncertain. But they where... spent what? That was easy to me. That no, was easy. That, that wasn't and easy. I played Jalen Rager either. I played him also. Right, but what I'm saying is I only had three lineups. So, so then make a decision. Right, and making that decision, I didn't feel comfortable. Like on, on in oh, you got to feel uncomfortable then. You know GPPs, you got to feel uncomfortable. Right, but I want to feel uncomfortable with things that I think I can be more right about than the field. Like I'm, I'm low on the Eagles this year. I think that Jalen Hurts will be in general significantly worse than he was last year. I think the Eagles are a bad organization and they're not going to build a game plan around him that's going to work for him. So that is that has been my thought going in. Likewise, I haven't known really with Philadelphia. I mean, I, I projected Devontae Smith as their top wide receiver. I projected uh, I, I had Jalen Rieger right behind him. Like I had it split up correctly, but I didn't know that I had it split up correctly in the same fashion that I felt comfortable with, say, the Steelers or with the Browns, with OBJ, who was supposed to be in. Or like even these... the Bengals, but you feel you don't feel comfortable with the Eagles, yet you feel comfortable with the Bengals. Like I felt much more comfortable. Boy, Chase, any of them could get there. I, I understand that, but the way that I felt was that I felt more comfortable with the Bengals. Okay. I had T. Higgins projected projected very very well and significantly better than Bunty Smith. Um, so the, there were just other situations, like especially week one, basically week one through week four. I try to avoid situations that I think other people are more confident in, and I'm just like not confident at all. Like I wasn't confident in the Colts at all. I had no idea really how. No one ever is. No, you can't say that. The Eagles, no one was owned other than Hurts. I mean, we're talking about how much Smith, Devontae Smith was well, 11%. Okay, a little bit more than than 11% for Smith, uh, about 3% for Rieger. Sure. So yeah, I, I guess I could give 11% is, it's I thought much. he would end up, I projected him for around 6 to 7% owned. I had him. What did I have him? I don't know. I didn't have him projected all that well either. Yeah, but I, but, I but not eleven. I didn't think he would get into the double digits of only. No, I, I had him projected like five percent. But again, I thought people were going to be over on that. So the I wanted to avoid situations that I didn't feel that I could like project well enough. Like those situations, I don't like the Eagles. I don't like the Colts. The, those kind of teams, like if Jalen Hurts is going to continue to feed Devontae Smith and Jalen Rieger, then that'll be different this year. But last year, there was so much spreading the ball around. Colts always spread the ball around. I don't like situations like that. I like more condensed target trees. 
So the games that I focused on were Arizona, the Buffalo Bills, and the Chiefs, because I felt of all of those teams, of the teams that I had the highest, like in my stacks, those were the top three stacks for me overall, followed by Tennessee, Atlanta, and then Minnesota, and then Green Bay. So I went with my top three stacks overall. My problem was, so Buffalo, first off, were, were straight up bad, like not good. They lost to the Steelers when they absolutely did not deserve to lose to them. Um, Arizona was good. I went Kyler Murray with DeAndre Hopkins, but I brought it back to Julio Jones, which it, it's coin flip. Even if you brought it back with AJ Brown, no one from the Texans did well enough that it, no one from the Titans did well enough that it would have mattered. No, 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 no. But having Julio Jones and having the nut low outcome, that sucks. Uh, and then I was like, all right. So I still have this Chiefs lineup. And my Chiefs lineup was Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and OBJ. And I surrounded it with, uh, I think I had like, I had Deontay Harris, who I was really high on all week to, to leverage the Callaway chalk. I had Raheem Mostart. I had Chase Edmonds. And then I had, I don't, I don't remember who the other. Well, I'm assuming you switched out OBJ to, to someone else. I took, here's what I did. Did you, did you go to Donovan Peoples-Jones and then upgrade somewhere else? Nope. So I wanted to go down to Rashard Higgins because I thought Rashard Higgins would step into that. And then I wanted to then upgrade around with, I wanted to upgrade from Deontay Harris to somebody, and then I wanted to upgrade something else. However, doing all of that, I still had like 1,400 remaining. So I switched to a Green Bay stack. Oh, instead of leaving the Chiefs stack. Yeah, well, that didn't work out. No, no, you're right. It didn't work out. <laughs> right, okay. Well, that didn't work out. But, I mean, I, I had Green Bay projected well. Everybody did. You know, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, very easy. Um, and I still I still had Deontay Harris, and I still liked Deontay Harris quite a bit. What I actually ended up doing was going to Aaron Rodgers with Devontae Adams and leaving it at that, and then having a Jarvis Landry-Travis Kelsey secondary correlation. So I, I liked the secondary, I liked the stack that I switched to. I didn't mind going to a Green Bay stack instead of a Chiefs stack. Uh, Green Bay just died and Aaron Rodgers got benched for Jordan Love and the Chiefs put up like a billion fantasy points and it just is what it is. But that, that was my strategy yesterday. I want to focus on those teams and um, I really actually wanted to have a Washington Chargers stack. Because I didn't, I didn't agree with Vegas that that was such a low over under. How did you feel about that game? I go by, I, it, the betting lines are going to be more efficient than anything else. Not week one, not week one. It's so what else big. are we going to go by? Even if you do that for week one's down forty years, you're still going to get. You just still be fine. I, uh, I, I, thought I, the I didn't mind like, like I didn't mind the secondaries. I didn't, I didn't play the, the stat. I, I didn't mind uh, McLaurin. Or Gibson plus Keenan Allen. Like I didn't mind like that type of sure. like doing that, but I wasn't gonna play Herbert. I think I played a little I played a little bit of Fitzpatrick because you could you could play Logan Thomas. So you do Fitzpatrick, McLaurin, Logan Thomas, right. and Keenan Allen. You do something like that's what I want. Anytime there's a decent tight end that could get a ceiling score, I never mind the stack because I get to fill a spot that typically is weak. Yep. That's exactly what I wanted to do. And I, I mentioned that a lot. And I always mention it. Like if you can have a stack where you can utilize the primary tight end and take, take care of that primary position. Like if you can build a stack around Logan Thomas, Travis Kelsey, Kyle Pitts, uh, Mike, Gisicki, yeah. It, like any of those guys, um, you, you should try to prioritize that side of that game. Um, 
because otherwise, like, I, I think the days of one-off tight ends outside of like Travis Kelsey are are pretty much. Kittle, they still have Kittle, Hawkinson. There are plenty of tight ends. It, it's either that or you punt a tight end and hope that no one gets there. Yeah, and I think that that's more than I'm. That's more what I'm talking about. Like, and people playing like Tyler Conklin alone or Kyle Rudolph alone or stuff like that, and hoping that like Travis Kelsey doesn't get there, that like George Kittle doesn't get there. It's these premium tight ends. They have such high floors now that I think that punting tight end just well, isn't, high, high, no, it's more high ceilings. I think they. I think they have higher floors as well. I think they have well, sure, significantly of higher floors. But that, but that's the main reason why those cheaper tight ends I try to pair with my quarterback. Right. Like if I'm not going to be able to pay up at tight end, like if you're if you're playing Trevor Lawrence, just plug in James O'Shaughnessy. Like just because you're going to have to get a ceiling from Trevor Lawrence to begin with. And you hope the two touchdowns go to O'Shaughnessy. O'Shaughnessy, right? You got one like he throws for four touchdowns, two to two go to your your the wide receiver that you have, and one at least one. You get 12 points out of James O'Shaughnessy as part of a stack. Yeah, you're stoked. Right, you're stoked. <laughs> you're fine. You're good, right? And then you pay down there and you could pay up for some wide receiver or running backs. Yeah, but I, my, yeah, I my point it. there is that you don't pay, you don't play James O'Shaughnessy by himself. Right. That's no, what I mean. No, you know, no one plays him. No, he shouldn't even play. No, but him. people do that. Like people do that. And like people were playing Tyler Croft by himself. People were playing like freaking who, who else did people want to play people want to play Kyle Rudolph yesterday by himself people wanted to play it, the, the ownership didn't come through because Kyle Pitts was so highly owned but like people are still going out of their way to play these cheap tight ends and saying oh well, I can just punt tight ends so I can get like the good piece of my stack it's like I don't think that's really viable for for high finishing GPPs anymore well, I mean I it's viable like you just you, you need you need everyone you need the higher end tight ends to not put up ceilings which is super like I I think that the higher end I think the higher and tight ends and even the medium range tight ends even these guys that are like 45 4300 stuff like that even those guys i think are way way better plays than punting tight end at this point i just i i think that over the long run i think over the course of the season if you're punting tight end and it's not part of your stack that i i think that that's a negative EV strategy at this point nate branshaw asked earlier in the youtube chat were you building lineups that limited the exposure to the 3k wide receivers to say at most one or are you more likely to flip the overall construction with expensive high mid tier wide receivers and cheaper running backs? Number two, I, yes, I did have some lineups. I set, I basically in my, in my large, obviously my single entry three max builds all did fit that this rule, but uh, I limited to what, like basically at most one uh, wide receiver that's under 4,000. And at most one running back that's over 8,600. So basically at most one of Kamara, Henry, McCaffrey, Cook. So I was building more. That's why like I had a lot of Pittman. He was 4,100, right? I had a lot of uh, Devonta Smith, who's 4,500. Like those, those T Higgins, like that range, that 4K guys, I was playing more of them and just sacrificing at running back because- for GPP ceilings, it's GPP ceilings scores typically come from wide receivers. Yes. So, like, I don't want to have 3K. My Rondell Moore, and I still had plenty of these guys, but just not two in one lineup. Like, Rondell Moore got 10 points yesterday on five, on five, like five receptions. And he, I mean, he had a bunch of, he had some targets. He didn't do badly, 
But like, we're probably not winning a GP unless unless McCaffrey goes for fifty. Unless come on, one of those top end running backs goes for fifty. Like you, ten in your wide receiver slot is not going to cut it. So I I I don't I don't want to play guys. I'll play Rondell Moore in a Kyler Murray stack because at least now it's correlated. You got you play you play Rondell Moore, DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray. Okay, okay, that's fine. Marvin Jones with Trevor Lawrence. Okay, okay. Now once you start adding the correlation, now you're increasing the variance of your lineup. And so many of these lineups were going to be built with sub 4K wide receivers. That once I play two of them, it's like. That what stacks would I have to play in order to get off of similarly guys? I'm not going to like, well, instead of playing digs, I'm going to play Ridley in this lineup. Like that's not enough. That's not. And a lot of people underestimate. I talked about this a lot last year that we, you really, I think people, James, would you agree with me on this? I think people are so used to what fantasy football was for the past, 30 years when it comes to the running back position that people have not have still not adjusted yet. If you played, if you played fantasy football since I've been playing fantasy football since the ninth, late eighties, early nineties. And back then we had Emmett Smith, Thurman Thomas, Barry Foster, like, like there were no com- running back by committees. Like teams had like one, one guy that played like on like 98% of snaps. And the only times they didn't play is because to get a breather or, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's a third and 23 and they'll put in a pat, you know, and a lot of these guys are pass catchers anyway. Like they, you know, they caught passes out of the backfield also. You got the Marshall Fox, Ladanian Tomlinson's. I mean, and then we had David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell, like just a matter of what, five years ago yeah. that people look at 8K plus running backs and go, well, you know, they have great touchdown odds. They catch passes out of the backfield or whatever. But in GPPs, ceiling scores come from touchdowns, okay? So Dalvin Cook could have 30 touches and have 22 points, right? He could have 100 yards rushing, 50 yards receiving on five five, uh, receptions. So that's 10 points there. 100 yards, that's another 10 points, plus the three-point yard, three point bonus for the rushing bonus, 23 points. Like, that's not a ceiling. That's like, like unless he has at least one touchdown, if not two, like, that's not going to be needed, most likely. I mean, it could be in the winning lineup, but it's not going to be needed. And you're paying 9000 for that. Yet, you go down and see, uh, in the 6K range, you see guys that, Mike Davis was on the field 83% of the time. Now, wasn't efficient. The Falcons were down, but he ran routes, caught passes, right? Uh, it, it Austin Eckler in that range, Aaron Jones. I like, a lot of these guys are like, well, well, they don't play. They only play 60 to 65% or whatever. It's like, who's getting the goal line carries? Like, well, these guys, it's like, if you know that touchdown, that touchdowns are the most variant, and especially for running backs, I mean, we had we we had we had uh, uh, we got stuffed at the goal line all the time. Derrick Henry was stuffed like twice at the goal line. Yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't have gotten there with the ceiling anyway with the with the Titans played. But the difference between a six K and a nine K running back 
is typically touchdown variance. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of times, like I played a, a plenty of Damian Harris at 5,200. He actually caught like two balls out of the backfield. Uh, he didn't put, he, I think he put up 14 points or something. He had the bone. He had a fumble at the end, but like, like, dude, I, if I could get 14 points out of Damian Harris without a touchdown, add a touchdown to him. He's 20. So David, so uh, Cook, McCaffrey, Kamara, those type of guys, their floor game is a, a guy that's $4,000 cheaper, his ceiling game. So like McCaffrey against, McCaffrey had the quietest, like almost 200 yard game you'll ever see. He scored nine, 27 fantasy points. If you, if you looked at the line that he put up for that game and said, this is what you get at McCaffrey, you know how many people would say, give me the 27 points? And me, I would say he wouldn't be in any of my lineups. Like 27 points for 2,9500 may be good in cash games, but there's 13 games on the slate. There's 26 teams on the slate. I'm pretty sure that I have a good, sh that one of these five to 6K running backs is going to put up a 27 point score. One of, I don't know which one, but one of them will, maybe two of them will. So if McCaffrey's only going to score 27 points, like why are what what is the highest ceiling position on the slate? Wide receiver. And by playing McCaffrey, by playing these high-end running backs, like you're seeding all of the ceiling at the wide receiver positions for 12 points out of Ron Delmore, right? Out of out of playing Terrence Marshall for seven points. When I'd rather, I'd rather have my wide receiver positions be be uh like one 8K level guy, one 6K level guy, and one like $4,500 guy. I'd, ra I'd rather it be Diggs, uh, Diggs plus, plus Keenan Allen plus T. Higgins, rather than it be Elijah Moore plus Michael Pittman plus, you know, like plus Sterling Shepard or something. It's like, or Kenny Galladay or whatever the hell, or Jerry Judy, who got injured, obviously. So do, do you agree with me just from the, just from the sense of that people, people in GPPs look at, uh, they feel comfortable playing McCaffrey and Kamara and Cook, maybe not Henry, because people know that you're probably not going to get receiving yards from them and receptions for PPR. They feel comfortable like that because when they get 25 to 30 points, they feel like they've, they've accomplished something when in fact, like when, when these guys are only on like GPP winning scores, when either, either it's a low scoring slate or when they score fit, when Dalvin cook goes for 180 yards and three touchdowns. And it's like, yes, these are the running backs that have 40, 50 point ceilings. But if they don't go for 40, 50 points, you could probably find six or seven running backs that go for 20 or so on the slate that are, that are so much cheaper. Do you, do you, do you, I'm assuming you agree with that, but do you, do you agree that it's more, that a lot of it is psychological with that people, people still view running back as the least variant position. So they just try to lock in as many safe points as possible. Yeah. Um, so there's a yes and a no here. I do agree that people think that running back is still like where you should be spending your money. And the reason for that is because we end up having these three to 4K wide receivers like the Elijah Moores, Marvin Jones, Marquez Callaway, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
people look at them and say, oh, well, uh, I can get these cheap, cheap, cheap running back or these cheap, cheap, cheap wide receivers. And I can look for a ceiling from them. And then I can have these points from Christian McCaffrey for 25. You're dead on about that. Um, I disagree that there is a benefit to spending 9K on a wide receiver over spending 9K on Christian McCaffrey. I think that the ceilings there are the same. I think the ceilings for somebody like Christian McCaffrey versus Devontae Adams are about the same. Because if Devontae, like, I think Devontae yeah, Adams but, has, to, but it's not typically, see, McCaffrey yesterday was 9,500. Adams was 8,300. So, I mean, there, there's a price difference. But you have to agree that the wine, there are, there. if you if we're going to look, if we're going to say how many players on a slate score more than 30 points, most likely they're going to come out of the wide receiver position more so than the running back position. And I'm getting to that. Okay. So th- when I say that I disagree that the high-end running backs, I, I do think that the high-end running backs, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, uh, Derek Henry, like the, those guys, they have the same ceilings as whatever high-priced wide receiver you want to take the, the Tyreek Hills, Devontae Adams, the whatever, Travis Kelsey, I'll even include him in there because he's usually around 8K. Uh, the, the problem comes in that if you pay up for running back, you typically have to pay down for wide receiver and the cheaper wide receivers don't have the same ceiling as the midway, mid-range wide receivers or the high-end wide receivers. And that's where you're right. Is that the they, they also don't have the ceiling as the cheaper running backs. Right, and the roster construction. So when you get into that, like, yeah, the ceilings, I think, are the same for Christian McCaffrey or we'll, we'll say Calvin Ridley. Sure, because he's like 8,500. Calvin Ridley versus uh, Devontae Adams. Like, the ceilings, I think, are the same there. But the ceiling of somebody like T. Higgins is not the same as the ceiling as somebody like Chase Edmonds or Damian Harris. Right. So, like, those those, But lower... they fill different spots. The, 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 the thing is, is that they... They also fill different spots, but the roster construction. So that's, that's where I think there is this edge that you can exploit because you're right. The people still think that paying up for running back and paying down for wide receiver is right. Whereas now I don't think that's right. And uh, Derek Cardi talked about it and you, you and I have talked about it where last year people or two years ago, people weren't playing Michael Thomas as like the, the most expensive wide receiver on the slate, but he was like, he would walk out of bed and have 30 fantasy points. Like and, and people, people, people would rush to jam in the high price right running back and sacrifice Michael Thomas, but I'm like, right. like Michael Thomas actually was less variant than any of the wide, uh, any of the running right. Backs. And and the cheaper cheaper wide receivers were significantly more variant than the cheaper running back options that we had. So the Mike Davis is like, if you take let let's just for example, like Mike Davis yesterday, I have Mike Davis projected for eighteen point eight fantasy points. After, after the news, um, another wide receiver that was in that same range, uh, was like Robbie Anderson at 5,700 and he was projected for 14, but he only had, he, he had a significantly lower chance of being a top overall scoring player than Mike Davis. And they're basically the same price. So if you're in that range and you're paying up at running back, then you are paying down towards this Robbie Anderson or you're paying down towards this Tyler Boyd or something like that. Whereas you could be paying up for the wide receivers, you know, Tyreek Hill or whatever, and paying down towards Mike Davis or Raheem Mostart or uh, Miles Sanders, whatever, 
Like he can pay down in this mid range or even lower. If you wanted to go down to chase Edmonds or Devin Singletary rather than having to pay it down at, at wide receiver where the ceilings just aren't as high. Right. And especially when the different, the ceilings for running backs come from touchdowns, the ceilings for wide receivers don't necessarily have to come from touchdowns. Right. I mean, the receivers on PPR sites, this is more for DraftKings than on FanDuel. Like, like, dude, we, Justin Jeffers, someone like Justin Jeffers or Calvin Ridley, right? The Falcons are bad and still throwing. Calvin Ridley could go 12 for 120. 12 for 120. And that's 24 points without a touchdown whatsoever. Seven with the receiving. Oh, with the, right, with the bonus, right? Not a touchdown. No running, like cheaper running backs or any of the running backs other than maybe McCaffrey has put up, McCaffrey and Kamara have put up like 10 plus reception games. But like you take a look at, at most on their median outcome, like it's going to still be around that 20, 25, 27. Like, like Ridley, Ridley with two touchdowns on 100 plus yards is going to outscore the, most of the running backs. Like, and there, there's multiple, number one, you get to roster three, if not four of them. And you have to roster two running backs that almost require a touchdown to be GPP relevant, right? It, it, I mean, McCaffrey, look at McCaffrey yesterday and he's still like, didn't matter if you had him. It, did, it, really, it really didn't. Right. So once you, once you understand that you're going to need touchdowns, from your running backs and they go, well, uh, I want to pay up at wide receiver and pay down a running back. Well, I, I want to play, I want to play guys that are in, I want to prioritize favored running backs that get all of the goal line work. Right. So fate, like anyone that's fit, like, yeah, you can still play underdogs. That's why I looked at Damian Harris. It's like, okay, favored. we get the goal. Cam's not there anymore. So it's Mac Jones. So, why, why wouldn't Damian Harris be rushing the ball at the goal line? Okay, give it to me. You know, I take, I take a look at, uh, uh, and also it needs, it needs enough of a workload, I guess. I mean, like, like Antonio Gibson. Like, is he going to be in at the goal line? Yes. It's not going to be J.D. McKissick at the goal line. So, like, why? there are, is, is it a pick them? Are they close? I mean, like, why? why like, I'm, I'm going to be playing more of those guys. Najee Harris played 100% of the Steelers' snaps. Wildly inefficient. The Steelers' the offense did not look good. They still won the game. Uh, like, those are the guys that I look at more because all you have to, they have to do is fall in the end zone, and then I just have to hope that none of the 9K guys put up a ceiling ceiling. But even if they do, I got, I got my wide receivers. could. I mean, look, Thielen put up 30 points. I mean, just two touchdowns. Yeah, touchdowns. Well, there you go. So with touchdowns being so so variant, people get locked into these, these people that they think they need to play mm-hmm. and these construction types that they need to play without thinking of like, like, yes, it's uncomfortable. Like you said, it's uncomfortable to build a lineup with Antonio Gibson and Damian Harris as your only running backs because you're playing a wide receiver in the flex and go, well, it, 
does McCaffrey not get there? Does Kamara not get like, there's so many things that you have to, that you have to dodge. Mm. But instead of thinking about what you're afraid of, I think people build their lineups too afraid. Don't think of afraid. Don't think of what happens if one of the higher end running backs goes for 40. Well, you're dead anyway. So who cares? Right. Think in terms of, well, what happens if the, the high end running backs just go for 25? It's like, do you think do you think you could get 25 out of Mike Davis? Do you think you could get 25 out of Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Swift, right? Chase Edmonds, Chase Edmonds, that goal line role, you know, you're gonna need a lot of a lot of catches out of the backfield. But, yeah. but but that's what you should be you should be thinking of the positive sense of do you have two running backs that can get a hundred yards and one touchdown? Like that's it. Set your sight on that. A hundred yards and one touchdown. Hundred yards and one touchdown is 19 points. Right, 100 yards, 10 points. The bonus is three, six points for a touchdown. Great. Now, can they get two touchdowns? Now you're now you're like you're also paying four thousand less for them. So now at wide receiver, look at wide receiver and go. Do you think I could get uh, ten and one fifty out of this guy, which is twenty eight points? Well, the guys that you're looking at because you're playing Damian Harris and Mike Davis is Stefan Diggs, Calvin Ridley, Tyree Kill, Devontae. Like, you look at all of those guys. You look at a Keenan Allen, for crying out loud. You look at Terry McLaurin, who's not even 7K. And you go, do you think, dude, can I get 150 yards out of this receiver? Like, in, in a reasonable shot? Not, like, guaranteed, obviously. But then you go down, you go, you're, you're looking at, you're, you're looking at uh, uh, Elijah Moore going, can you get 150 yards out of this receiver? And you go, ah, Probably not, right? That's why I played a lot more Corey Davis. It was leverage, and it's like, can I see Corey Davis having a 100-yard game? Yes. I could even on the bad Jets team with a rookie quarterback. Yes. He ended up with two touchdowns. So I think that's a better way of thinking about constructions while still being uncomfortable doing that of, can I get 101 out of this running back? Can I get 150 yards out of this wide receiver? And if you could answer yes reasonably, not, I'm not saying who is more likely to, right? You look, you look at Corey Davis and go, well, he's less likely to get 150 yards than Calvin Ridley. I go, yes, yes, but he, he's also 3,000 cheaper. So yes, it mitigates that probability. But if you can't look at every spot like that and go, can I get 150 out of a wide receiver? Can I get 101 out of a running back? Can I, can I get 12 points out of this tight end? Like, then you could fit in whatever players then, then build the construction. And if it turns out to be completely uh, contrary construction, like that's good for GPPs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I, I talked a lot yesterday um, in the discord about, okay, people are going to be paying down for a wide receiver here. So uh, if the construction is going to be Christian McCaffrey with cheap wide receivers, uh, it's probably a good idea to pay in the mid range for running back and pay up a wide receiver. And that's just a super, super, super simple way to just make sure that you have leverage in GPPs. It's, it's indirect leverage. It doesn't have to be direct leverage. We talk a lot about that in theory of DFS. Like you don't need to have direct leverage. You don't need to have Deontay Harris instead of Marquez Callaway. Instead, you can just not be, not even have to make that choice at all and pay up at wide receiver and then pay down at running back. And like automatically you're going to be very different from the field in doing that. And you're still going to have plenty of upside and you can build lineups. Yesterday you could have built lineups with Raheem Mostart and let's take a look at projections. 
Last, yesterday, you could have built lineups with Raheem Mozart and Aaron Jones that would have had nearly the same projection as Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. And you're spending, what is that, $6,000 less on your running back pair? And like your wide receiver pair now, you can still, ha- like you can have these guys there were three there are three wide receivers I had project for over 30 fantasy points yesterday you want to know how many running backs I had projected over 30 zero 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 I I had one I had eight wide receivers yesterday projected higher than any running back on the slate so like the obvious way to build in 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 tournaments yesterday was just to pay up for wide receiver and pay down at running back or not even pay down pay in the mid-range at running back and that's going to get you away from the Elijah Moore, the Marvin Jones, and, and the Marquez Callaway. You don't even have to make direct pivot decisions on that kind of stuff because you are you already have plenty of leverage over the field. Right, and even if you run the lineups. So if you were to use lineup HQ, which is obviously if you're a premium member, you can. Click on the link in the description, get $10 off your first month of a premium subscription to Roto-Grinders. Just run them. Just like run take, take out all the 3K wide receivers. You know, just run. I don't want anyone... Anyone lower than 4K. And I, and like I said, I was building lineups that primarily had no one in the 3K range and only one of the high-end running backs. At most, at most. I, some didn't have any, right? I mean, just at most. And the and had a stack, right? I had a three plus one, two plus one, a run back, you know, something like that. Uh, if I ran it, if I ran it without on default, like without groups, without just give me the Give me, give me the best lineup that formulates like two correlations and that's it. And just whatever, like the difference between that lineup's median and a lineup where I'm eliminating, you know, all the three K wide receivers and I'm only rostering if at most one of the top end running backs, the median difference was two and a half points, two, two and a half point. You know what two and a half points is a 15 yard catch. In one of 13 games, right? Right? So if the difference is just one 15-yard catch and the amount of variance that there is in the NFL, you could sacrifice 2.5 points in, in median. And my ownership went down like 40%. went down 40%, right? Especially if you're not playing the Falcons defense for 2K, right? You take out Callaway, you take out Elijah Moore, you take out the Falcons defense. I mean, we're talking about, look at the ownership of these play of these Callaway and the Millie, $5 Millie, 20%, right? Falcons defense was 14%. Elijah Moore was, was only 9%. So t- 10, 30, 45, 45% ownership. And let's say you're not even playing Kyle Pitts in that lineup either, right? You take that. That's like that's like half the ownership of your lineup right there. I mean, like, it, once you take out Kyle Pitts, maybe now you're sacrificing three, three and a half points on the best lineup outside, but that's a 25-yard catch. That's it. That's it. One 25-yard catch. Or two catches for five yards. Two catches for five yards, right? Why not? Some screen passes to the wide receiver. So when it's that small and you could drop your ownership in almost in half and then – when, when you look at those lineups, there's not just one lineup there. There are hundreds of lineups, combinations. Now you're most likely playing a lot more Michael Pittman, 
a lot more of Devontae Smith, a lot more of T. Higgins, right? You're playing more of the better 4K wide receivers, but now you're going to be over the field on them because so many people are playing the 3K ones. I mean, so, so many people are playing the 3K wide receivers. And then now, because you're doing that construction and you're only playing one of the running backs, you're playing more Mostert and Mixon and Gibson and Harris and whoever in that range. Like, and then you also get to have more Diggs and more Ridley and more Adams and more Tyreek Hill, like all those good wide receivers. Like I was over on virtually all of them because like you don't even, in, in, in massive multi-entry, if you're building a diversified portfolio, you kind of just like, I'm spreading myself out because I don't know what the hell is going to happen, especially this past week. Uh, but even in, in single and just make a decision, right? I, I, just like I said, I have Justin Jefferson in my mix in lineups. Right. If I had uh, like, for instance, if I were to play Najee Harris, I would have had digs in that lineup. Like there's always some high priced wide receiver that kind of correlates with something else in your lineup that just pick the one that pick the one that correlates more. Right. Other than Tyreek Hill was the only one that I, I didn't play uh, non-correlatively because the Chiefs could just easily just blow them. Tyreek Hill. I mean, look what happened. I mean, like. Yeah, it was, it was a high-scoring game, but Tyreek Hill had a forty-point game. The Chiefs are. Do, I, do I need a Brown in that lineup? No, I don't need a Brown. Chiefs are inevitable. Okay, James, you got a lot of stuff of uh, work to do for. Uh, uh, oh, you I know you're short sample. You're small sample size guy. All right, is it going to be my my version of playing week two versus your version of playing week two? Because you know, you know exactly what I do. Yeah, like, you're just gonna take I, I almost discount yeah. anything that I saw in week one and play as if the season started week two. Yeah. And I know you look at, you know, you try to find trends before anyone else finds it. Who do you think is going to win this week? Well, for the sake of how badly I did this week, I need to do well next week. Uh, but-, but you understand what I'm saying for, for the viewers is that you you may look more into the week one, what happened in week one and regress it quicker in your model well yeah. i'm more likely to take the 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 field will overreact to a, to a lot of things some of them will be right some of them will be wrong but if i just played my lineups as if week one never happened i will naturally be like my lineups will be naturally more contrary yeah i uh i think that i am going to win this week because there are some things that certainly matter that we saw so if you're starting the, the season, oh, if you're starting the season week two is week one and you don't adjust to anything that we just saw, uh, I think I win this week. So, so James Robinson is not a good play next week. <laughs> now, uh, there, there are some things that I, I mean, you have to make it, you have to make some adjustments, right? Yeah. 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 But, and it's, who, but it's a, who knows though, James Robinson might be the nuts next week because Urban Meyer's a moron and we don't, we don't know what he wants to do. I, yeah. We'll see. And I'm sure we're going to get a lot of people saying, well, Najee Harris played on 100% of snaps. And it's quite possible he plays 100% of snaps next week and either doesn't get there or he ends up only playing 50% of snaps. Just out of, I mean, like, like he might that's play what I mean by snaps and then get there. And right, right. Or no, get half of the snaps and get right. Exactly. <laughs> Heck it happen, right. <laughs> okay. Pay dirt. Did do you have, do you have your, your domain name? Is your WordPress site done? I do. Yeah, it's done. Yep. PitterDFS.com. Yep. Finally. It's built. So everything's over there and not on your ghost site. It, it is still on my ghost site. I'll be updating both throughout the month. 
Uh, just well, because transferring people over uh, as a process from Ghost into WordPress is not super easy. You so just like do the you do with the my the PHP MyAdmin, you just put it in the database. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do you can just migrate it over. But if people continue to sign up subscriptions over at Pater, then I have to continue to re-migrate things over. It's just annoying. Just it. Make it so they can't go there. So, but. This is, this is me. This, I know this is how it, you know, it must. This is what, James, what you're feeling right now is what, what happens when you try to explain something like Excel or something <laughs> moderate related to me. Like, where you're like, this is easy. What are you doing? Yeah, and I'm well, doing I'm it messing up. the web development version of that. Yeah. So, but it's it's built. The only thing I need to do is put together a posts page where right now you can't see any posts, but there's only one post so far. Everything else is working. So okay, paydirtdfs.com. Yeah. Uh, obviously, theory of dfs.com, 15 hour audio DFS masterclass from uh, me and James. Uh I'll, I'll be on sh- the showdown show, the before lock showdown show with Will later tonight at uh, 7 30 eastern and then be back uh back tomorrow we'll be lo- we'll be lo- looking over that showdown we've been answering strategy questions anything that you want like i normally do mondays through fridays 11 o'clock eastern on the dfs pregame show on rotogrinders.com <laughs>